I think I'll begin reading in verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Hear God's holy word. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth Be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother, Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Tiba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. There was a lot to think about. Uh, Last time we were together, as we looked at the story of the offering of Isaac in the first part of this chapter, it's an incredible story and a vivid um, foreshadowing of the greater offering of God offering up his son, his only son. Tonight we'll look at these uh, remaining verses beginning in uh, verse 15. First, let's take a few uh, moments to think about Uh, that previous passage, and some of the ways that the offering of Isaac points to Jesus Christ. First, think of Abraham's willingness there in that passage to go along with what God had called him to do. Abraham was willing to obey the Lord in that, willing to offer up his son. Uh, He loved his son Isaac very deeply. He had a powerful Uh, bond with that child. It's his only son at this point. And this shows us a picture of what it means 
to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love God above all other things. We see the beautiful picture of that here. Abraham was willing to be obedient to God in this, even though God was asking him to make really the ultimate sacrifice of his most precious possession, this child that he and his wife had waited so long for, this miracle child who came in their uh, old age, not only their old age, but their very, very old age, and yet he was willing to obey. He was willing to sacrifice this child's life. He obeyed promptly, no less. This way, Abraham points us to Christ. Jesus was tempted in every way during the course of his life, but he was tempted um, in the supreme way at the very end of his life, and yet his obedience never wavered. On his final night of his earthly life, he was faced with the prospect of the horror of the cross. He was in anguish, thinking about it, knowing not only that he would die in physical agony, but more so under the spiritual agony of bearing God's wrath and being forsaken by his father. But he considered his father's will more important. His father's will was that he would carry out his calling to go to the cross to save sinners. Jesus considered that as more important than his human will to avoid the cross. He certainly was tempted and thought about that in the garden. His obedience held up. He was obedient and remained obedient under the worst temptation and pressure. His obedience flowed, of course, from his love for the Father, his perfect love. And thinking of love, think of Abraham's love for Isaac. Again, it must have been a very strong love. He didn't want to carry out this slaughtering of his own son. His love for his son shows us a picture of God the Father's love for his only son. Think of what it must have been, um, must have been a, just a heart-wrenching thing for Abraham to go through this process, to make this journey, to um, make this commitment to slaying Isaac. Every step of that trip must have been uh, just heart-wrenching agony. The bond between this boy and his father must have been very strong. No doubt Abraham was deeply grieved by what he had to do because of his love for Isaac. But that human love is just a, just a faint reflection of the eternal perfect, divine love within the Godhead, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and between the Father and the Son in particular, as is highlighted here. Think about the bond between Father and Son within the Trinity, an unbroken communion of love between God the Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, no less. That communion had never been broken. We can't begin to imagine uh, the perfection of God the Father's love for his Son. And the Father was not detached and aloof when he sent Christ, his Son, to the cross. This was a costly thing for God the Father to bear when he sent his Son to bear our sins and to bear his wrath. The suffering that Jesus endured was infinitely more 
horrific than what Isaac would have endured had he been sacrificed. And again, Christ's worst suffering was not physical uh, by any stretch. Uh, That was just a drop in the bucket. He suffered the spiritual anguish of bearing God's wrath and eternity's worth of God's wrath for all the sins of all God's chosen people and being forsaken by the Father. And this must have been not only grieving for the Son, but grieving terribly for the Father who did not spare his own Son from this. Imagine how grieved you would be if you had to offer your child, slaughter your child, offer uh, your child as a burnt offering, no less. Again, that's just a faint parallel to how God the Father must have been grieved to pour out his wrath his Son, the object of his eternal love. Remember why he did this. Why was he willing to do this? Why did the Father give Jesus, his Son, over to this terrible death of the cross? He put Jesus to death, and he put himself to that grief because of his love, for his pe- because of his great love for us. Theologians speak of the necessity of the atonement. Reformed theologians sometimes speak of it in this way. They speak of it as the consequent, absolute necessity of the atonement. It was necessary as a consequence of God's love. For us, the atonement was absolutely necessary. The death of Jesus Christ, absolutely necessary, not only because we deserve God's wrath, but because God loves us. That's why the atonement was necessary. He loves us so much that he wanted to save us from our sins and from hell. That's why he did not let us die in our sins. That's why he chose to send his only son the cross. That's the beauty of the cross. Never forget that. Never forget the meaning of the cross. The meaning of it all is that the Father loves you. God the Father loves you. If you see nothing else in the cross and in the death of Christ, see the love of God the Father. We also see the principle, of course, of substitution here in this passage. The ram, the ram uh, at just the right moment appeared and was offered in the place of Isaac. God provided the substitution in the only place where you see substitution in the Old Testament. You see it in the Passover lamb. You see it in the Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that was offered there. But this story might be the most vivid because Isaac uh, is uh, a human sacrifice. It was a human life that was on the line, about to be slain. And God provided a substance. Isaac was allowed to live, and the ram was offered in his place. That's a beautiful picture of how God planned to provide a substitute to take our place, dying for our sin. That is great exchange. Christ coming into the world to take what we deserve so that we could receive infinitely better than what we deserve. We receive what he deserves. He dies so that we will live forever, so that we can be spared God's wrath. we got to move on to the remaining verses here in verses 15 to 19. We see there the Lord again uh, doing what he's done so many times before, and that is to reaffirm 
and uh, comfort and encourage and strengthen uh, Abraham's faith in God's promises. He's reaffirming again his covenant promises to Abraham. Again, he does it over and over again. We've seen it uh, again and again, but like every time he does it, he does it a little differently, he does it with some different nuances. He reveals a little more about himself in the process. Look at uh, verses 15 to 17 here. We're told, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. And here's the promise. God says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates, rather the gate of his enemies. Here God is restating his promise, reaffirming it, strengthening Abraham's faith, Again, he's saying, Abraham, I'm still doing it. I'm keeping my promises to you. My plans haven't changed. A lot of time has passed, but I'm, I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. So keep believing. Keep trusting in me. Keep trusting in my word. And he says, your offspring shall possess the gates, uh, rather the gate of his enemies. And that refers, first of all, to the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites. Promise of that. God said Abraham's descendants would dwell in Canaan as their inheritance. And here he's referring to that again. He's promising it. It's going to take some time still. It's going to take a few hundred more years, but they will get there and they will possess the gate of those enemies. But above all, this promise uh, is much more than that. This is a prophetic promise of another conquest beyond that conquest of Canaan. And this one has to do with us. We trust in Jesus Christ, who is the true seed of Abraham, as Paul says in Galatians. Through him, this promise applies to us. We will possess the gate of our enemies. You and I will inherit the world from all God's enemies and our enemies. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. And that is us. We will inherit the earth. After it's all over, when all God's enemies are vanquished and thrown into the lake of fire, God's world will be remade. Humanity will be remade. And the world will be inherited and indwelled by us. The new humanity, God's resurrected, glorified people. And that's our inheritance. And it's coming. And we will possess it. We said this morning, we already hold the title deed to it. And we can look forward to it with full confidence, with full assurance. We will possess it fully, be glorious. And in verse 18, God tells Abraham, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God meant for Abraham and his offspring to be a blessing to the world. To some extent that happened with the people of Israel, but this is really, again, about us. This is about New covenant people, people of God, believers in Christ. We are not saved just so that we can be spared from God's curse and enjoy his blessings for ourselves. We're meant to be a blessing to others. We're meant to share those 
salvation blessings with others. And first and foremost, that means that we need to share the source of our blessings with others. We need to share Christ. We need to share the gospel with others so that they too can be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice one other thing here in verse 16. Notice what God says there. He says, and this may be a little familiar, he says, by myself I have sworn. So in the process of reaffirming uh, his covenant promises to Abraham, here's the little new wrinkle. He says, by myself I have sworn. I'm going to keep these promises. The same promises I've I've been telling you over and over and over again, Abraham, by myself I have sworn to keep them. This is something new. God swears an oath by himself. And why did he do that? Maybe you remember from Hebrews. This passage comes up in chapter 6. He says this, again, to assure Abraham in the strongest way, the strongest possible way, He's assuring Abraham that he will keep his promises to him. God wants Abraham to believe it. God wants Abraham to have rock-solid assurance for his faith. Hebrews 6 verse 14 comments on this passage. The writer there says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. God was guaranteeing his promise to Abraham with this this oath, swearing by himself. He wants Abraham to believe his promises. He wants Abraham to be greatly encouraged and hold fast and hold firm to his word. God's saying, Abraham, I'm taking this oath by myself because I want you to have absolute certainty that I'm going to keep my word to you, that my word is absolutely trustworthy. He wants us to, to believe his word in that same way. Every word of God is absolutely to be trusted. Every word that hasn't come to pass yet will come to pass. He always keeps his word. His reputation is at stake. So we can trust him just as fully as Abraham could trust God. And he wants us to. He wants us to depend on his word fully. Remember, it's not so much about us having great faith and the strongest faith. Faith could be like like mustard seed faith. It's the object of our faith that is great. And we we need to have our eyes fixed on the perfect faithfulness of our God who has spoken to us. He is entirely, 100%, faithful. His word is absolutely reliable, altogether trustworthy. That is the foundation of our faith, his faithfulness. And that's why we can have assurance. God would rather destroy himself than to fail to keep his word. That's how serious he is about keeping his word and us being able to believe his word. Ligon Duncan comments on the assurances that God gave Abraham here, the kind of strong assurance he gave. He writes, God is concerned that we walk in assurance too. For an assured Christian is an energetic Christian. A doubting Christian is a weak Christian. So God wants us to feel the certainty 
of his promise. And as far as we know, these were the last words that God ever spoke to Abraham. Eight times the Lord spoke audibly to Abraham in his life. The last words of the Lord, as far as we know, in Abraham's ears began with these words that the Lord said, Abraham, I swear by myself. Those are the last words of God to Abraham, as far as we know. It says God means for us to trust. He wanted Abraham to trust in him. When we trust in God, think about it, that glorifies God. Faithfulness is one of the key characteristics of God, one of his attributes. It glorifies him when we recognize that, when we honor his faithfulness. He also wants us to trust in him because it's good for us when we do. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants to give us the blessings of peace, of comfort, of joy as we rest in his promises, as we rely on. And then as Duncan said, we'll enjoy that assurance in trusting him and our lives will be more energized as believers. More energized and more fruitful for him. That comes from trusting in the Lord, believing his word. Lastly, look at verses 20 to 24 here and all these names. What are all these names about? Always hard to get through some of those names. I'm not going to say them all over again. Verse 20 says, Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Eight children Nahor has now through his wife and four more through his concubine. You wonder why does this matter? Why are these names mentioned? Why does the Holy Spirit inspire these words to be written? in the scriptures. What does it have to do with anything? What does it have to do with God's promises here to Abraham and his, and, and his oath to keep his promise? Well, it does have something to do with those things. In fact, it fits right in, and it makes perfect sense if you just think about it a bit. Isaac, God's promises are going to be brought to fruition through Isaac and his offspring. And Isaac is a young man by now. Again, we're not sure how old. He's a na'ar. He could be a, a young lad or he could be a, a young adult at this point. But he's, he's getting to that age where it's going to be time for him to find a wife. Abraham and Sarah were probably already thinking about that, starting to wonder, Boy, who are we going to find for this boy to marry? And lo and behold, after Abraham and Isaac arrive back in Beersheba, they get the news about Nahor that he has all these children. An important one to note is Bethuel because he, we're told, was the father of Rebekah. So this was, this was great news for them to receive. When it's time for Isaac to marry, they're not going to have to worry. Mom and dad will know right where to look for his bride. And this is, this is again, about God's faithfulness. This is a, another sign this long list of names, it's a sign of God's grace and provision for Abraham, his faithfulness to his promises. This is more assurance for Abraham's faith. You see here how God is taking care of things. He's bringing it all together. They're not going to have to worry about how the line of promise is going to be carried on. There's no need for Abraham and Sarah to start scheming again and try to cook up a way to go down to Egypt or 
or figure out some other kind of uh, crazy plan to find a wife for Isaac. They schemed that way plenty in the past. They don't have to do it. God has it all under control. That's really what those names are all about. God has it all, and it can rest in, can rest in the knowledge that God has got this, and he's preparing a wife for Isaac. Old Scottish minister Robert Candlish has a good old commentary on Genesis, and he comments on this, this, uh, this note about Nahor's children. He says, Is this not a hint from heaven? I love this. Is this not a hint from heaven to relieve the anxiety of Sarah and Abraham? To Sarah in particular, who was about to depart, was about to die. How gracious is this kindness from the Lord. Her last and only care is removed. No doubt she sensed the Lord's hand in this, leading her and her household by a way she knows not. She may commit it all to him, to him who will provide, whether it be that lamb for the burnt offering or a chosen handmaiden to be a mother in Israel. Rebecca. Sarah, too, sees the day of Christ afar off. Every obstacle to the fulfillment of God's promise being taken away. Her eyes see the salvation of the Lord, and she is contented. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. It is all well. The Lord will provide. May the Lord give us all that kind of peace, comfort, as we trust in him for all our needs, our spiritual needs, and all our needs are physical. Pray together. Father, we thank you for showing us in such beautiful ways how faithful you are. We even thank you for this little hint from heaven here at the end of this passage. Uh, we sense your, your concern for the hearts of your people who are fearful at times and full of anxiety. We worry about so many things. We thank you for how you uh, provided this uh, this little hint from heaven to comfort Sarah and Abraham and to uh, calm, calm their worries. Thank you for your wonderful provision for them and your provision for us in this life, especially provision of your son to be our savior. We need him so much. He is such a good friend of sinners. Help us to trust in him. He is the the ultimate fulfillment of all your promises. It all points to him. And you have kept your word to Abraham, ultimately in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing him, and we pray that you'd keep us in him by faith all our days through the power of your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name.